most Christ-like thing we can do is spend time with small groups of people. That's what Jesus did in his life and build into them to future generations to where the process will continue until he comes again. And if that's not a big enough challenge, <laughs> I don't know what is. That's what to keep you getting up every morning. When you learn this, what this disciple making is and that you know it's Jesus' heart, you'll feel his pleasure in it. It's revolutionary, it's intrinsic. And everywhere you go and everywhere you look and all the people you see, you'll be thinking, is that a potential world changer? It was the fall of 2002, and the first time I heard him speak, I knew there was something very unique about Roy Sue Campbell. As we sat on his front porch at 5 o'clock in the morning, a month later, Soup told me that he wasn't interested in how smart or talented I was, but that if I was faithful, he could show me how to be a man of God. I never had a man challenge me like that. I quickly accepted, and my life would never be the same as Soup began discipling me that day. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and today we welcome Roy Soup Campbell and Kenan Vaughn to our program. Gentlemen, welcome. Glad to be here today. Thanks so much. Kenan, I feel like we're making history today because for the longest time, I have been trying to lasso this guy to your left to get him in the studio. He is traveling all over the world, the ministry of making disciples. Mm -hmm. You caught a vision because of the time you spent with Soup, creating a ministry called Downline based on discipleship. So I'm really excited to get you two guys in the same room and talk about Downline, talk about discipleship. Yeah, I am too. I, it's not easy to get Soup on lockdown. He's a globetrotter for the Lord, and like you, Byron, I uh, I love to just be with him, to hear him, continue to share his uh, wisdom on making disciples. He's made a lifetime out of that, and uh, just being around him, I always glean so much, both from his example, from his experiences that are shared, and so I'm really excited about our time today. I'm just excited to be here. Soup, do you remember that first time you met Ken and Vaughn? I do. The first time I met him was at church service, and he was contemplating on going to play with athletes in action. His mother, his sweet mother, Miss Peachy, asked if she should let him go. And I had played with athletes in action in the early days, back in the early 80s, and I said, sure, let him go. It'll, it'll make a man out of him, that's what I told him. <laughs> and, uh, and he did. And the next time I met him, though, was at that youth group. Uh, he invited me to come and share and speak. What was it about Kenan maybe qualities, characteristics, or something that stood out to you when you first met him? Well, when I first met him, I just knew he was kind of a bright-eyed young man, bunch of zeal. And I had seen that in a lot of young men who would say, hey, I want to spend time with you, get with you. But then a week later, after we said, these are the requirements, this is the standard, you didn't see him anymore. So I wanted to make sure that this young man was really about what he said he wanted to do and if he was going to be faithful to this process. Ken, I remember the story. You mm -hmm. told me there was quite a few obstacles that Soup put in your way. He would tell you, meet me here or there, and then cancel on you last minute. <laughs> and you really didn't see how hungry you were to yeah. show up. Yeah, I don't know that he ever canceled anything on me, but he the first time I called him, he, he told me he just had a lot going on to give him about a week and call again. And and so I did, and, and that when I called then, he told me to call him in a month. And, and there was a period of time in there I just thought maybe he was blowing me off. And, and I don't know, I, still to this day, I don't know exactly what Soup was thinking during that time, but, but I'm glad I called him a month later, and that's when he invited me out to his home in the, the wee hours of the morning. And uh, I'm just, to this day, forever grateful that I got out of bed that day and went, and uh, it was the beginning of me seeing what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. And what was it that you saw? What was it that stood out to you, Kenan? Well, I think when he said the phrase that you read, when he said, I don't care how smart or talented you are, all I care about is whether or not you can be faithful. And of course, I didn't understand exactly what that meant. 
but he said, I'll show you how to be a man of God. And what stuck out that morning, what made my heart beat fast, was that there was someone, and Sue used the word standard a moment ago, there was someone who was willing to be a visible standard for me of how to follow Christ and inviting me along. And, and frankly, Byron, and I'm not pointing a finger here at anybody else, but I just never received that kind of an invitation, that kind of a challenge, kind of the same one Jesus gave the 12, y'all follow me. I just had never had a godly man looking me in the eye saying, I know the way and you can come. And it just lit me. Sue, what does it take for somebody to make a challenge or call someone? Uh, I have to be honest with you. I've never been personally challenged in those words myself on an individual one-on-one basis. I've been an athlete all my life. And when you're an athlete, you're called up to challenges to play sports and you're challenged to run and and, uh, really discipline yourself. But it seems like when it comes to Christianity, we're afraid to make that challenge, especially to the men, and afraid that they will back away, they'll pull away. But if you look at the Marines or the special forces or groups like that, they make those special challenges to men, and they have a line so long that they have to turn some away. Where have we lost that in Christianity? Why can't we make that challenge to men and help them step up to that? And if it's not a challenge, it's not really worth being a part of. If it's not, nothing that stretches you, it's really not worth your time. Somebody told me a story once that they were in a, uh, in a country where you can't really show your faith that much. It was a Middle Eastern country, and, and they were really making breakthroughs with a group of people. They were using a word for commitment. They would get people all the way up to the point to where they would be ready to receive the gospel, but they would use this word for accepting the gospel, and people never would do it, and they couldn't understand why they got to that point, and they wouldn't do it. Well, this guy was talking to someone else, and they finally said, do you mean this the concept you're talking about, accepting, receiving, giving your life, selling out, paying the cost? And they said, yeah. They said, then you mean this word. So when they changed the whole word in that concept, then they had many, many people who accepted Jesus Christ because that first word didn't have enough challenge to it. It was too weak. It was not a cost involved in it. There was no vestment. There was no life given to it. It wasn't challenged enough. So people were saying, if that's all it is, it's not even worth me submitting or submerging myself into this. When they used this other word that called for life-giving challenge and cost, then they had people just come to Christ that way. Even the idea that he asked me to be at his house at 5 a.m. was a very foreign concept to me. Uh, being there in the dark, talking to him. We continued to meet on Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m. every Tuesday following. We would study the scriptures. We would get life on lifetime throughout the week and months. But I always remember thinking that I was a part of something special, that I had this opportunity to be with this godly man in the middle of the night. That's what it was to me, uh, studying the scriptures. But I knew I was a part of something special. There was some teeth to this. We were memorizing the word together. We were studying, understanding the context. We were going out and living it out. And, and it wasn't just grabbing breakfast with a guy or reading a book with someone. Like there was a lifestyle that I was embracing that was a lifestyle cost kind of a call. And again, what impressed upon me was it was what I saw in the New Testament. It just had been foreign to me, even in the Christian culture. In the New Testament, we hear Jesus saying that if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What about that teaching of Christ, Soup, do we not understand today? Where are we misdirected or misguided when we hear Jesus say that and how we apply it to our life today? Well, if we look at the historical context of it, Jesus, the, the term used of him more than anything was teacher or rabbi. And when they said that, when the rabbi said, follow me, that didn't just mean come and know what I know, come and hang with me, come and get a chicken biscuit for 45 minutes at Chick-fil-A with me once a month. It means you follow me so close that 
Your purpose is to be like me. So you follow me to be like me. And that means with me time. And that means tons of time and being up close and personal and obedience in that. Ken, you grew up in the church, called to ministry, seminary trained to go into the ministry. I remember you telling me one time you never had a class in your entire seminary that taught you how to be a disciple maker. Yeah, it's true, and it's sad. I, I did have a great experience. It was a, a, a professor, Howard Hendricks at Dallas, and he just on the side, he, he was a disciple maker at heart, and he was always inviting guys into his life, into ministry, into to lunches, to go be together. He would always, you know, you wanted to learn from him, but he'd spend most of the time asking you questions and probing and really getting you to think about things. Uh, but there was no class. The classes are obviously about how to know the Word, how to teach the Word, how to exposit the Word. And these are important things for a pastor. But I think maybe one of the huge black eyes or hurdles, roadblocks in the church having a healthy discipleship culture is our pastors are not trained to disciple. They're trained to do this thing, which we've taken on as 21st century modern West Christian pastoring, which is mostly pulpiteering, if I could steal that word. It's mostly just do a great job up there educating us. And I think one of the most important part of a pastor's job, but I think equally as important, is that he's a picture of Christ, that he's, he's an under-shepherd. He's doing what Christ did, which is feeding the masses, certainly, but it's also leading the masses by investing in a few, multiplying the ministry responsibility. Those are things I didn't pick up in seminary. Matter of fact, I've had some great conversations with seminary professors and even the president where I went to seminary since talking about that and really seeing some motion and movement now towards having even discipleship groups, it almost sounds funny, where seminary professors are now beginning to carve out time during the week to just be with the students, to do life with the students, because they're realizing that deficit in the training of these young pastors. And we don't do what we're not trained to do, what we've never seen, what we have no model of. And so I think it's vital for young pastors to have some kind of experience like I had with soup that becomes part of my DNA, that I won't, Lord willing, be a pastor who's not discipling guys uh, beyond my pulpit ministry. That's a great point you make, coming to Christ, knowing our purpose, knowing our mission. And that mm-hmm. in itself can be a motivating factor when we realize what our mission is, what our purpose is as followers of Jesus Christ. You're exactly right, Byron. The call is the mission. The invitation, Second Corinthians 5, we're new creations in Christ. It says God was reconciling us to himself through Christ. And there's not a period there. It then says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The invitation to salvation by grace through faith in Christ is an invitation to be like him and to follow him. Somehow, I don't know if it's that we think we can outsmart God or get more salvations if we dumb down the call, but I'm going to soup on this one. I think the more that we really give the same call Jesus gave, a call to die to yourself, take up your cross and follow him, uh, people really know uh, the privilege it is to follow Christ. They really tether their life around uh, what it means to be saved in Christ, to now have this new position in Christ, this possession of Christ in you, and the first thing Soup taught me, and this new purpose. It's all one thing, and I think that we need to be honest with people and, and call people into that from the very beginning. 2006 is when you founded Downline Ministries, a ministry that seeks to encourage restoration of biblical discipleship in and through the local church. And that's, I think, a real key there, too. Your mission is not to compete against the local church, but to come alongside and help the local church to get Mm -hmm. back on track, get back on mission, Mm -hmm. maybe where there's some deficits. Is that right, Soup? Downline is a great ministry to come alongside the church to help equip 
and to uh, partner with the church to help equip, to give some venues and avenues for those to hear disciple making, to learn about it, to practice on it, and to take that back into their local church environment and, and be an asset and a blessing to that local church. Did you ever think, Soup, in your wildest imagination that Ken and Vaughn was radical enough to start a ministry based on discipleship, which you spent those morning hours with him? He never ceases to amaze me. Uh, I'd be happy just to sit back and let him finish the interview and talk. Because I learned so much from him now. He's a very smart guy, very motivated, has great vision, loves people. And he loves the Lord, and he wants to see people grow, and he wants to see the Word of God multiplied throughout the globe. But, you know, I was just thinking, guys, what are the possibilities of what God wants to do in the lives of his people when someone will initiate you were willing to spend time with Ken and Vaughn, Soup. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't have done that, there's a possibility there would never be a downline ministry. That step of faith, believing God for what Soup did to trust God to be with you on that early morning hour on Tuesday, what's revolutionized your life and it started a spark, which is now the reality of downline today. And not just in the Memphis area churches, this ministry is around the world now. Mm-hmm. Praise God for that. And you're nailing it. I think about all the time I say publicly, I'm forever grateful, indebted to Soup, just because he was willing to do what you just said. He gave his most precious commodity, which is his time, to a young guy that Soup didn't have any prophetic vision of what was going to happen, and neither did I. He just was willing to love me, to give me a model of how to follow Christ, what that means in your family, what that means in your life, what that looks like in your neighborhood, and what that looks like in faithfulness and discerning God's will and obedience in the areas of your life and spiritual disciplines and study. He just gave me a picture. And the Holy Spirit took that and went places neither one of us ever imagined. And it's still a downline, I think, is no doubt a work of God. But you're right. It's through Soup's faithfulness. It's through the faithfulness of the saints that God moves moves to redemptive purposes for his people throughout the globe. And so the, the question that I hope challenges anyone listening today as they're driving down the road is, what might God do if you were faithful to just, you may have a neighbor, there may be a young person in the church, you may be sitting next to a 26-year-old guy this Sunday at church that's a complete stranger. What if you, during the two minutes where we greet each other, got his name and invite him to, to get a coffee that week just to hear a story? I don't know, Byron, but if people were as intentional as Soup was and as willing to invest, I think we'd have stories like Downline going on in all of our lives for the glory of God. I think that's the very purpose. Why is it, Soup? Why is it that we don't engage? Why is it that we're comfortable in our churches doing our thing? Well, once again, I think what we've done is we've scheduled this thing. We've made this thing a schedule. I never scheduled him in. I'd call him and say, hey, I'm going here, I'm going this. Are you available? Come. Or he'd call me, and we had that mutual relationship. Well, we did life in the flow, and he saw me exactly as who I am and how to flow, how to be with your wife, my lovely brown sugar Linda. Yeah, <laughs> I saw her at Memphis State, and she sashayed through. I said, man, I'm, I'm saved, but I ain't blind. And I, I put a ring on that one. We've been married almost 30 years. But... He got to see me with my wife and family, and then I'd call him up, and we'd go to basketball courts and just uh, how I deal with people, and, and we'd disciple and talk on the way. We'd take long road trips, and it was just life on life. It wasn't, okay, i got to schedule in Kenan for an hour this week, and, man, if I don't get him in. And I begin to think discipling is spiritual parenting. So how would it be if I took my biological kids and I scheduled time with them? I'm going to get time with you, but this is your time with me. It doesn't work that way. So if discipling is spiritual parenting, you do the same. You just flow with life with them, and you just that's the way you do it. So, number one, we don't make enough time for these young guys. Then I want to challenge the young guys. If you see an older gentleman 
who you want to spend some time with, then pursue them. A lot of young guys, I think they set back like their first-round draft picks and they want people to get after them all the time. No, if they know this is what they need and they know they're struggling and stumbling, they need to find an older man Hmm. and say, hey, uh, can I spend some time with you? Yeah. If someone dropped us right now in the middle of a war and none of us were equipped to do this, then here's what I would want. I'd want someone there to walk up to me and say, hey, Soup, you know nothing about this warfare. You don't know anything about what's going on. I volunteer myself to teach you everything I know about warfare. And you know what? I take the worst one over there because if he's talking with me, he knows something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got to pursue older men. I've spent my life with older men, Herb Hodges. He's discipled me for 24 years, and that's where I caught the vision of disciple-making on his couch one morning in 1990 and saw multiplication, and it impassioned my heart and became intrinsic. And he said, just run with it. And I've been running with it, and I get time with him and have spent over 26,000 hours with him just on the flow, on the go. Before him, uh, a gentleman, Ben Young, who was the first African-American Southern Baptist pastor here in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, before him, Coach Kilpatrick, who was my baseball coach at the University of Memphis. And here is a coach taking a young athlete who's trying to figure this thing out about living with Christ, being aggressive on the field, trying to grow the frustration of injuries and stuff, but just loving me through it, teaching me. And then his son, who is Dr. Kilpatrick at Mid-America now, who was basically my first disciple who taught me the, the word called Bible in a nutshell. So... I've had all these people built into my life, and all they did was just gave me time, and I just got with them and was on the flow with them. And the principles of discipleship, what really grabbed your heart about growing in your own relationship and helping others to know him and to make him known? How did that begin? Well, Coach gave me a Bible, and I just began to read and devour it because I don't see how a person can come to know Christ and really not have a overwhelming hunger and thirst for his word to know him more and stay up and read that Bible and pray. And just know Jesus more because it's a new life. It's a whole new deal. So upon completing my eligibility through many injuries and, and opting out of the draft and everything, I came back to Memphis from playing the overseas and athletics in action, got injured over there, and began to work for FCA. And I'd work all the inner city high schools, and I'd go around and do a presentation of the gospel and have many athletes uh, raise their hand. But then I'd come back a month later and see those kids, and I didn't see any fruit or change in their life. And I said, it's, it's, something's not right here. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to do these very slick psychological presentations to get kids to raise their hands, to turn into numbers and all that. And I said, something's not right about this because there's no growth. So then I called Brother Herb Hodges, and I said, you know, uh, working hard, I'm toast right now. I'm toast Working hard, seeing kids raise their hand, and I just, it's got to be more. And he says, well, what are you doing in the morning? I said, nothing. He says, be at my house at 6 a.m. So I went to his house at 6 a.m. for four years, sometimes two times a week, and he was just plowing deep into what disciple-making was after the biblical standard of Jesus and how it's building through people at least four generations into them to where it would reach the world, it would multiply and that day I saw it, and then I began to do that and immediately reproduce that in others. It was almost like a rebirth again. And as I grew in that and began to disciple others, this is where it really got me. I was working the Hurt Village community, and a young man called me one evening, and he says, Soup, got some news for you. And I was like, oh, man, who's dead now? Because that's the kind of community Hurt Village was. 
He says, no, I just want you to know that I just led my cousin to Christ. Now, I was all the way home in Frazier. He's led his cousin to Christ in Hurt Village and is discipling him. And I said, that's it. In other words, now I can build people to where if I build into them correctly, I don't have to be there and the ministry will continue. And today I can lay my head on the pillow and know that if God takes me off this earth right now, this very minute, I can be at peace because it's not finished right there. It's going to continue on. And that's really the key there. The time you spent with Kenan, you told him to meet you at 5 o'clock, but Herb gave you a 6 o'clock morning time. <laughs> I was wondering why. Yeah, well, we had to take it up a notch. Yeah. <laughs> take it up a notch. I was wondering the same thing, Byron. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that you said that I think is important, too. You mentioned a man by the name of Philip Farmer. But it's the same Philip Farmer in West Memphis that mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. He was an owner of a dry cleaner. Yes, it's him. You know, Kenan, here's a man, is a business guy, owns a dry cleaners, mm-hmm. not seminary trained. He's just somebody who loves the Lord and wants to tell others about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So being a disciple or being a disciple of Christ, mm-hmm. you can be in all walks of life. Yep. And just look at, we're doing a whole radio interview right now talking about the ministry of Downline, which came out of a relationship with Soup and I had, and Soup sharing his story about this man that you and he know, Philip Farmer, who was willing to share the gospel. And that's the beauty and majesty of, of the mystery of the church at work. If we were really all missional, if we were all intentional, if we really all had our antenna up about who might God want me to plant a seed, you know, some plant, some water, some grow, but we, we're all a part of this work, that this redemptive work God's weaving in our lives for his glory among the nations. And so that we wake up to that. And don't just tragically go through life successful in every other endeavor except understanding why we're truly here and what we're to be doing. Boy, wouldn't it be incredible what God could do? Can't even imagine what we would see him do. Mm -hmm. Something that I want to pick back up on, Soup, you mentioned about those in the urban community, young men who don't have a father figure or a mentor that they can look up to. Maybe someone could be a surrogate father or mother to some girl. Yes. And if you want to have an influence in our city, then disciple a young man from the urban context. It's just like when we go on a foreign mission field, what do we do? We find a national, and we begin to empower that national to impact and minister in their context and environment. But then it seems like when we get home here in the States, we lose that concept. But the same concept will work. You see, those men who built into me and Brother Herb Hodges, they're ministering in the urban context because they're doing it through me and what they built into me. So their ministry in a residual way is continuing on. Yeah. So you can change this urban community. So if you're one that watched the news and then you say, oh, look how bad these urban areas are. But if you're not making investments, then you're part of the problem yourself. So invest in that and grab one of these kids. And we go out to the West Tennessee State Prison at least four times a month. And we have a strong group of men out there. They've got a strong church, and there are men out there, but they're fathers who are not in the home with their boys and stuff. And they really ache about not being there, especially after they come to know Christ. Well, these men would love for you to get one of their boys, their sons, and take them to the summit to hear about disciple-making and spend time with them. Now, what would be a good way to be able to connect with these young men, to call you through Downline, or what would you suggest on that, Kenan? 
Well, yeah, you know, you almost got to have one foot out there relationally in the community to be able to know how to locate some of these. I think Soup's probably willing to be a resource. We got three or four folks who major just in inner city ministry. They're on staff at Downline. So sure, if you called our office or shot us an email, we can help you. We have a guy on staff named Quentin Lytle, who really is kind of the director of our urban relationships. Even in, in Soup, a lot of these guys in the city that are out there on the streets, they serve as resources for us to help us answer that question. So if somebody just gets in touch with us at Downline, we'll help connect them to some folks if they don't know any of their own that they could really, like you said, be a blessing for a weekend. You know, there may be some kids from one of the ministries, Icon or Memphis Athletic Ministry, or even through some of the church relationships we have where they could do that for a weekend. Soup, as an observer of the growth of Downline, how have you seen this ministry impact lives, the difference, maybe some of the stories you're hearing or seeing the fruition of this ministry in the city today based on what has happened through the beginning of Downline? Well, I remember when we first started, I think the first class, we could just about meet on this table right here, this small table. But what happened was those men's heart and those ladies' heart got impassioned with that disciple-making, and they saw how making an investment can have residuals in the future. And they also saw how making a word investment and a life investment, truth in life and walking with people, how other people began to walk that way also. So it attracts people. It has an aroma about it. When people want to grow and they want to see their life count, they've got their antennas up. And they're looking for someone who has that already happening in their life. They just want to walk along with them. And when they're able to walk on their own, then people see that and they say, I want some of that also. I want to learn how to do that. Also, I've seen that he has a ton of these young people called emerging leaders who come into the city. They're young college graduates. They come to the city and he housed them, some of them in the urban context, and he houses them all over the city. Over 90% of them stay in our city even after their down-line year. So if they're living in my context, in the HAMP, then now you've got disposable income coming into a community. These are young professionals. You've got young people who can model what it means to abstain from sex until marriage, which we need a whole lot of in our community. They can model identity. In other words, they get their identity from Christ, not their clothing, not from other people, but from Christ. And that's been a great impact of Downline on our city. It was an ember of desire that was flamed by that intentional meeting that Soup and Kenan had a few years back, five o'clock in the morning. This blazing fire started, and now Downline is a reality today. And I can't help but think there's those listening right now, men and women that are hungry for this. They, they want to be intentional. They want the reality check of who they are in Christ and to come alive and to be all that Christ wants us to be in Him. If you want a challenge, if, if you need that challenge in your life, if you want your life to really count, if you want to be Christ-like, and the most Christ-like thing we can do is spend time with small groups of people, and that's what Jesus did in His life, and build into them to future generations to where the process will continue until He comes again. And if that's not a big enough challenge, I don't know what is. That's what to keep you getting up every morning. When you learn this, what this disciple-making is and that you know it's Jesus' heart, you'll feel his pleasure in it. It's revolutionary. It's intrinsic. And everywhere you go and everywhere you look and all the people you see, you'll be thinking, is that a potential world changer? Is that a potential Ken Vaughn? Is that a potential world changer? Someone who's going to turn the world upside down. Thanks for listening to Mid-South Viewpoint. The show is archived for on-demand listening on our website at bobradionetwork.com or via your favorite podcast platform like Spotify and iTunes. Some of our shows have videos as well and can be viewed on YouTube at Byron Tyler Radio. 
Stay tuned to Bite Radio Network to fill your day with God's Word.